to the King's Insider Podcast on csncalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me, a very special guest, Mr. Sam Amick, USA Today. What's going on, Sammy? James, how are you, my friend? Nice to talk to you as always. Yeah, it's great talking to you too. You know, new platform, new forum to to speak about Sacramento Kings news. You've been busy covering this crazy Warriors-Clippers matchup. How was that? It's been good. And belatedly, I know I've congratulated you privately, but since we're in the public spectrum here, congratulations on the gig. And, you. you know, are you applying for a name change, maybe the Cowbell Sports Network and, you know, change things up a little bit at Comcast? <laughs> I don't think they're going to go for that, Sam. <laughs> I just don't think they're going to go for it. All right. Uh, yeah, it's been an adventure so far. Lots of uh, action. The Kings playing nonstop early in the season. And it hasn't really been that pretty. What What are your early takeaways from this team? Well, I mean, they've had some moments where they look like a decent team, but the thing where I feel bad for the Kings and most of all their fans is they are prone to having the pressure intensify early in the season more than any other franchise probably in the league, just because of how bad it's been the last couple of years. And, and they had all this optimism going into the year. And so all of a sudden you're already seeing a couple of losses stack up. DeMarcus is hurt and you know, the snowball is already getting a little bigger but the reaction to the snowball is even bigger than the snowball itself, if that makes sense. So I'm already kind of gripping for all involved in terms of where this is going right now, especially, like I mentioned, with DeMarcus being out, they're just going to struggle until he gets back. Yeah, I assume you're not hearing anything different than we are. DeMarcus might play on Friday. He might play on Saturday. He might not play for a while. We're not quite sure. Yeah, I'm, I have not talked to the Kings about it. I did see Vlade Divac's comments, and I'm just going off of that. Now, it's it's impossible not to immediately reflect back on a year ago and the ripple effect that came from DeMarcus's health situation back then mm-hmm. and when the team struggled. They, things It was real, real uh, you know, kind of lovey-dovey in the late summer for the Kings between George Carl and DeMarcus and all the drama that we thought might have come to a, a head after July it, it took a real positive turn but I do think it's worth mentioning that that stuff can all come back in no time at all if the losses continue to pile up I do think that you you might start wondering about Georgia's situation and, and what does it all mean they're not going to be patient in terms of the organization they've got the new building coming next year they really 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 want and need this team to avoid becoming irrelevant by the time December rolled around. So yeah, at this point they're one and four, and then they come back to you know they've got Houston on Friday, they've got Golden State on Saturday, they've got San Antonio on Monday. What happens if this team is one and seven? I don't know. I think that I don't think anything is going to actually pop in terms of you know I don't think George is going to get fired by that point, but I think there's like this kind of a twenty game mark to keep an eye on around there. Where if you're one in seven, then my goodness, you uh, this is my Sacramento State math education coming into play. A six game winning streak is, you know, a heck of a task at that point to even get you back to 500. So it's going to be an uphill battle. 
And I just think not only putting themselves in a hole is a bad idea. On top of that, they just have no track record. The players who are still around from before of being able to keep the locker room in good spirits through struggle, you know, through times of, of toughness. And I'm just kind of, beca- I'm now wired to expect them to fall apart at the seams, not have each other's back, have it be a real negative situation if it continues to go that way. It's been kind of an interesting way that Vladi Divac's put this team together. I mean, it is a lot of moving pieces. How are you hearing that they're fitting together? I mean, from my side, I, you know, I've been there a lot and, and I haven't seen a lot of negativity, but Rondo is a, a huge personality. DeMarcus is a huge personality. I mean, is there, do you think there is that implosion point that could happen here? Well, I mean, I haven't heard anything too much about those two guys other than they've had stuff in practice where they're competitive and fiery and I don't know all the gory details, but they've had stuff, you could call it, that that has come and gone and then they've been back on the same page and it's not just the two of them, it's all those guys. It's part of just pro sports. But, you know, Ben McLemore, not to put too much on the young fella, but when you've got a young prospect like that not playing well, and I forget the numbers. Somebody told me last night some of the defensive numbers with him on the floor and just how bad they were. And, uh, you know, that's a disappointing thing for a group that needed him to take the next step. And then the new pieces, um, you know, I just, again, I, I just think that it's tough when you have this subplot from the summer where it seemed like DeMarcus's people were pushing hard for him to get out of town orchestrating moves behind the scenes to make that happen, you know, raising the question of whether or not George was the right coach for their guy. That pressure is not completely removed. It's just been glossed over for a while, and the quickest way to bring all that back up again is losing games. How do they move forward? How do they, they shake off this this whole, you know, rough start, injuries, everything else, the the drama of the summer? How do they – packages up and get to a better place i don't know i mean they just got to win and that looks like such a daunting task right now that schedule they had some games early on that were a lot more gettable than the ones that are coming down the rock down the line so there's no answer there's george is going to have his hands full just keeping guys minds right and convincing them not to give up and then it's just a matter of you know do they have it in them to finally turn this thing around a little bit they just need to i mean the fans uh, came in so optimistic and so positive coming off that offseason the media and those of us that are breaking down the game on every level are the ones who got hung up on well you know they give up this many picks to make that trade with philly and, and the fans just were excited because they got some decent new players and so they had the fans on board coming in but it, you know that's not going to hold up if you're not actually winning games. The talent level's better. I mean, it does look better on paper. Oh, yeah. and, and I mean, I, I don't think we can argue. I mean, Costa Cufos is better than what you've had in the past. Bellinelli should be better than what you've had in the past. Rondo again. Uh, so it it's not like they have a lack of talent. Are you seeing anything specific on the court that just isn't meshing outside of Demarcus being gone? Honestly, no. I mean, I haven't watched every minute of their games. The Phoenix one, I didn't watch. That's it's a road game. Road games are always tough, but that's one of those where it would have been a heck of a way to start turning it back in the right direction is to go get a road win against Phoenix. That didn't happen. Didn't even seem like it was all that close. But admittedly, I haven't even looked at the box score to see who did what in that one. 
the other, you know, you lose to the Clippers, you're competitive against them. Mm-hmm. That was, there, there was no shame in that. That was a good game. The Clippers are a very good team. Twice. Yeah, twice. I'm sorry. Yeah, they they look good. But that feels kind of good that night when you're disappointed that you lost, but you still have your head held high. But then you wake up the next morning, and the cold hard truth is you look at the standings, and it's still a loss. It doesn't matter what form it came in. You know, just ask the Warriors. Or the, the Grizzlies just lose by 50 to Golden State. The Clippers come in and they give them a good game and lose by four. It's all the same end result. So um, I'm not seeing – the DeMarcus thing is just – it's just enormous. It's just awful timing and obviously outside of his control. Um, but it's they're not – I don't see them turning it around if he's not on the floor. He's such a huge part of what they do. Yeah, it's just bad luck. Bad luck. Right. All right, so they do have a – a run against Eastern Conference opponents. What are you seeing out of the East? Are they as bad as they have been in the last, I don't know, say decade? The East you're talking about, James? Yeah, yeah, the East. Uh, I mean, it's, it just depends on who you run into, and I'm trying to cheat here and, and pull up the Kings schedule and see who we're looking at. But, um, you know, you've got a few pleasant surprises. The Knicks are better than we thought they would be. Teams like that, the Pistons are better than we thought they would be. So the, the Tide has men raised a bit i think in the early going here um but then you've got the other side too the nets have been worse than thought that would be you know the raptors so far look pretty uh pretty elite one of two undefeated teams in the league right now mm-hmm. and then you've got the usual suspects cleveland chicago atlanta is playing really good ball so the east it's not you're not going over to the east to have your get right games um in terms of that east stretch i mentioned the pistons and i did finally cheat and pull up the schedule Pistons, got, Nets, Raptors, Hawks, Heat, Magic, Hornets, Bucks, followed by the Timberwolves. I mean, the pessimistic part of me, since I don't like what I've seen out of the Kings lately, I'll, I guess I'll give them a road win against the Nets. That's one. Uh, I don't see them beating any of the top-tier teams there. I don't see them beating the Magic. Charlotte actually got a nice win the other night, even though they're 1-3. and three. The Bucks uh, are a good squad. Um, there's not a night off in the NBA. There really isn't. Like the Lakers, which the Kings obviously got their only win against, and the Sixers, and I don't know who else. I mean, do we throw anybody else in that group that's a, that's a gimme right now for with how they're playing? There's really not too many gimmies in today's NBA. Yeah, I really do think it depends on how the Sacramento Kings kind of bounce back. If they can yeah. bounce back and get to the team that we kind of thought they might be coming into the season – then, yeah. then they've got a chance to compete against that that you know Eastern swing. Um, if they can't get back, then you know this is going to be a very very long season. I agree, and it's going to be it's it's not going to be long and quiet. It's going to be long with fireworks. It's going to be what is George's future? Uh, does Demarcus going to stay committed to this group, or does you you start hearing rumblings that maybe he wants out? Um, I think that's why. When they lost the other night, what was the last one, James? Uh, the Memphis game? Yeah. And I left the arena and went back to the press room. And not to, it's always dangerous to glean too much from body language and things like that. But the front office group with Blatty and Mike Bratz seemed to be meeting with Vivek Ranadive and that whole group. They seemed pretty tight for early in the season. It wasn't, oh, we'll get them next time. It seemed like they were all kind of scurrying around. Uh, having a lot of intense conversations. I think uh, that that whole group is going to be tight. They've got so much on the line. 
and you, they need this group to be decent. You don't have the picks and other means with which to improve the roster going forward to feel good about the future, even if this group isn't playing well. If this group's terrible, then they are in a terrible spot. I would agree completely. All right, so we don't want to... We don't want to drag all the Kings fans down. Jerry. I know this is really uplifting. Yeah, this is yeah because <laughs> I saw the locker room and the locker room was very similar. Mike Bratz in the locker room having meetings with Rondo and Gay. It was very strange. Lots of guys leaving the locker room early before we even got in there. You know, when a rookie Willie Cauley Stein walks out the door as you're walking into the locker room, that's just kind of strange. Uh, they, I don't know if something happened that night or what, but this is definitely. They need to pull this thing together pretty pretty quickly or it will spin out of control. All right, Sam. So you have been covering uh, a, a lot of Warriors basketball. Are they are they beatable? Of course they're beatable. And we saw that in the Clippers game. They almost got beat. They were down 10, I think, in the fourth quarter. Clippers got a nice run going, and then Steph Curry decided to hit that video game button and be Steph Curry again. And he hit three threes, and they pulled it off. Some confusion down the stretch with Chris Paul and his groin injury wasn't out there on the final play. So that was a nail-biter, and the Clippers went home feeling relatively good about how they matched up. But over the course of the season, they can obviously beat anybody. What's interesting, though, is that if I had to handicap it, they went 67 games last year. When they got off to the 4-0 start, you started already hearing chatter about, geez, could they challenge the – Bulls for the league record 72 wins and I have a very 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 hard time seeing that not only because there's so much parity in the league and it's so tough but once you win a title last year they legitimately pushed to win as many regular season games as possible I think because the franchise history is such that that was an exciting thing it's almost like the Kings if they were sitting there at 39 wins this year 40 would be a really nice notch in their belt. So they do everything they could to get to 40. Like the context Mm -hmm. of a franchise's history, I think, matters. So the point being, the Warriors pushed all the way, pedal to the metal, to the end of the regular season last year. And then it was like, well, see what happens in the playoffs. But the the regular season mattered. When you win it all, I have a hard time seeing that. They're going to rest guys, I think, occasionally. They're going to be thinking about the big picture. That's going to be the focus. So I don't know what the final tally is going to be in the regular season, but bottom line, I think people were sleeping on them as a team that looks fully capable of going out and defending that championship. Yeah, that's an incredible team. All right, Sam. Well, thanks for joining us. I don't want to keep you all day. Um, you know, again, new digs here, csnbayarea.com, the Kings Insider Podcast. Thanks so much for jumping on. You got it, James, and a shameless plug of our own. Yeah. And feel free to you know come my way and – promote your stuff we have our own podcast that we're trying to improve so i would encourage folks to come join us have fun on the a to z usa today sports podcast we break stuff down have interviews and share the tales from the road and have a good time going around the league so always fun you and jeff zilgit yes yes jeff zilgit my co-worker who's back east Mm -hmm. hence the a to z amic and zilgit and it's fun where it's kind of intermittent but we have good guests on there and it's basically, you can relate to this, there's a lot of insight and material. A lot of times it gets left on the cutting room floor um, and stuff that we see in these jobs. And this is a fun little platform where if you, uh, you know, something funny happens on the road or some interesting tidbit or anecdote that is 
insightful about a particular team or a star player, whatever it might be. We just get on there and chop it up and then try to invite people to come join us. So we'll have uh, we'll have the James Ham appearance at some point here when we talk about the King's miraculous turnaround. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. That is the all-powerful Sam Amick USA Today. Thanks for hopping on. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it, James. Welcome back to the King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me as always, NBC Sports, Aaron Bruski. What's going on, Aaron? Uh, my job in, in this world is to remind people that it is week two of the NBA basketball season. Never too high, never too low. It's the it's a basic tenant of NBA basketball watching, uh, but this is a rough start. It's everything that could possibly have gone wrong has gone wrong. Would you agree with that? Yeah, as far as the Kings go, absolutely. And it's funny about the sample size thing, because if your prediction is doing well, you throw the sample size out the window and it doesn't exist and, and things are great. But if, if your prediction is not doing well, then you, you, you definitely need to remind folks about the sample size, or at least that's how it works out there on the internet. But yeah, the Kings are definitely, it's it's in between as everything in life. This is not good for the Kings. And I think, think it's exposing weaknesses that most of us already knew that they had. Um, the things about energy are the, probably the most disconcerting from an analysis point of view, because yes, that's not... That can't be an issue for this team. Um, but, I, I mean, we'll get into it. I, I think it's almost, if you're looking for silver linings with all this stuff, a lot of stuff is feeding into itself. Bad offense is leading to bad defense. Bad defense is leading to bad offense. So, with that, it's not like a fatal flaw, but it's definitely a lot that needs to be addressed. Yeah, okay, so let's just break it down. The Kings are 1-4 after a disastrous beatdown by the Phoenix Suns on Wednesday night. was not a good game. Uh, the game before was not a good game. The game against Memphis, uh, two very, very bad games. But before that, I thought that the Kings were actually producing at about the rate that I thought they would. I, I thought that they would lose two games to the Clippers. I thought that they would pound the Lakers. Those things are both things that happened. They're both items that we can check off the list. Uh, but I thought the Kings were in the Clippers games, and they looked really, they looked solid. They didn't look extraordinary, but they looked solid, and they looked like a team that didn't know how to win yet together. And then we get to Wednesday, and man, I, they took the wind out of the sails of the out of the crowd so quickly, and it was painful. I don't know any any other way to describe it. It was painful. And then the next night in Phoenix, just as bad. Is this all because of the missing piece that is DeMarcus Cousins? Or can they adapt and recover and move forward? Uh, to answer the last question, yes, they can adapt and move forward. I mean, we're talking about two games here in an 82-game season. Mm -hmm. So the, and seasons change, even for the best team. The Golden State Warriors will go through a prolonged drought. And no, it they doesn't won't. 82-0, baby. I mean, it seems like that, <laughs> that, that they're going to go 82-0. They're and so Steph Curry good. Is, they are and so good. Steph Curry's guy. We talked about that on my podcast the other day. His upside, there's no ceiling for that guy. But they will go through a slump, and it will be terrible, and Golden State fans will not know how to handle two losses in a row, which is crazy because I grew up before my media life as a Golden State Warriors fan. And we would kill for three wins in a row. I think but, we've gotten to that stage with uh, with Steph Curry where he's Neo and he just realized that he's you know he can control the Matrix. He's t he, I love when he shoots. Now he's making an extra twist at the end of it, so it looks like he's done a full 
revolution before the ball goes in the hoop. It's his, it's his way of dunking on somebody is to make that little spin before it goes to the hoop. But yeah, as far as the Kings turning it around, they can do this. But when, when you have DeMarcus Cousins leave, that is such a dominant personality for your, your offense and your, your defense. And what we're seeing here is the team more, more towards a Rondo personality when he's on the floor. And then when he's not on the floor, it's kind of just a free-for-all. There's not a lot of organization. The team really is, is learning how to play with each other. It's playing out on the floor. But one of the things that we've said about Rondo, or I've said about Rondo, is when things grind to a halt with him, it looks really, really bad. There were about 10, maybe 15 possessions where there was little to no ball movement as Rondo kind of surveys the court. And you just can't have that. So I think what the Kings need to decide to do is if they're going to use Rondo as their starting point guard and let him be this dominant influence, then I think he's going to have to find some sets that don't necessarily include so much surveying the floor and pick and roll with guys that really, I mean, if you're talking about a pick and roll combo with Rajon Rondo and I don't know, pick a random guy like Omri Caspi, it's just not a good idea. And we saw that quite a bit last night. Yeah, you know, I'm going to point this out. First of all, it's very likely that the Kings are going to go 1-7 and seven to start the season. I'm just going to throw it out there. Kings fans, don't freak out. Uh, there are a couple of reasons why, uh, but first and foremost, you know, the injury to DeMarcus. Now, I, I also would like to point out that Rondo looked really, really good with Cousins in the lineup. I mean, he was dominant better than he's been many times in his career. I mean, 20 points, two nights in a row, and really quality, high-quality basketball that whole time. So when we talk about offense and defense and how, you know, George Carl keeps talking about this strange thing where he says, you know, the the defense creates for the offense, and he, he keeps harping on it. And I think now you you can see what he's talking about. It's not just all about fast breaks and everything else. It's not about, you know, cherry picking, hitting Omri Caspi on the bomb and having him dunk. Um, it, it's more about the fact that DeMarcus Cousins rips down a rebound, which he averages, what, like last season over 13 boards a game. Um, he rips down a, a rebound and he instantly initiates the offense. He either takes off with a dribble he takes a couple of dribbles and he slings it or he throws a bomb. And that is how the Kings have been able to have this incredible pace the first week of the season. You know, 105.6 uh, possessions per 48 minutes. It's a tremendous number. They're like third in the league in pace. It's because they're initiating the offense so early. Now, take DeMarcus Cousins out of that equation. Do you think Kosa or or Willie Cauley Stein are capable of doing that that just that small piece, that one thing, ripping down a rebound and making a quick decision? And the answer is absolutely not. They do not have that in their repertoire. It's not because they're broken, it's because that's not the type of players they are. And absolutely and, and it's again, it's all feeding into its, itself. So it is. Whether so, Costa gets a rebound. There's not a guy on the Kings that turned and sprint. You know, if we're talking about the way that it's taught by like a guy like Alvin Gentry says, when the ball is secured, you turn like a sprinter and you run. And that's why Kristaps Porzingis, who we made fun of, was watching film of Usain Bolt, was to try to figure out how he could faster sprint down the court. You know, bless his heart. 
It's but, not working. He's not that fast. <laughs> no, no, there's no Usain Bolt. But he's but the, none of them were running hard, and the defensive scheme has. You, you look at a guy like Costa Kufos, who, by the way, has been the Kings' second best player. He's been this good. Season. Yeah, he hasn't and been bad. It's hard to pick at him, but on pick and roll coverages, there the whole give up the mid range shot thing needs some tweaking because. Costa, who's playing very, very well, is giving way too much space to the ball handler, and they have a mid-range jumper that's a practice-level jumper every single time, and that's been the case for most of the year, so that's something that they're going to have to switch up. And this automatic switching of non-favorable matchups for the Kings is a complete mistake. You know, If you're going to give up a good matchup just because a guy brushes into you, that's not good defensive basketball. So something's getting lost in translation there. And yeah, George talked about that. George talked about that about that after the Memphis loss that he's going to have to tell his guys to stop switching. And he even said, "Look, my concept of what switching is and what their con- what they're actually doing are two totally different things." And we're and getting com- caught on the switches again and again and again. And it, co- it comes back to energy because that's an easy thing to do is to just tap and pass, and that energy. You get it from good offense and you get it from good defense because when you have a good defense, you get good offense. And it's just so cyclical with the, the Kings. You're going to have to really isolate what are the trouble areas. And, you know, we talk about Rondo. His dominant presence on this team is unmistakable. I think you said that he was the team leader on the telecast the other day. I and did. I completely understand where you're coming from on that because he leads everything. And so if he's going to play the offensive half court game a certain way, that's going to be what the Kings live and die with. So they're going to have to make a choice. Either that's going to be their, their personality and they're going to have to be a grinded out half court team playing on one side of the floor, you know, focusing on kind of individual isolation matchups, i.e. Rudy Gay, you know, kind of a crowded, not fluid, not fun to watch basketball game, or they're going to have to do what, what Rondo was successful with in the games that he's played well is easy penetration with a little bit more movement in the sets. His athleticism is actually in a little bit better place than it was the year before he can get to the rim, Mm -hmm. but this, this cannot be an orchestra of plotting and, you know, kind of paralysis by analysis. It has to be fluid. You know, if you have it great, take it. If you don't move it, get some off ball stuff going on. You need shooters in the lineup. I mean, the, the seeing Marco Bellinelli pass up shots, I just don't recognize that. So a lot of different things, but I think the pacing and the personality of the offense is going to get guys more fired up to play defense because as they see the ball go through the hoop, they'll want to run a little bit harder. Yeah. What I've seen with Rondo too, is he's, he's gone back to get rebounds and I, I think they're not going back to get rebounds. So he's adding to the rebound total He's going back to get rebounds so he can initiate the offense quicker because he's just not getting it quick enough. It, there's like a two or three second delay every single time to get it from a big's hand to his hand so he can get to the other end of the court. So he's giving up a little bit of of court space in order to go get the ball and, and push and you know start moving it forward. It's really an interesting dynamic. It's something that I think we missed in the creation of this team that you know when they built this team you thought okay they added some really nice bigs um but you know like when the kings all the way back in in 2003 when chris weber gets hurt they come into the next the next season and they had traded 
uh, Scott Pollard and Hito Turkoglu for Brad Miller. And they did it because Brad Miller initiated the offense out of the post so fast. He was a guy who caught a rebound and had it to half court within a second. And that is such a valuable tool. I mean, Kevin Love has long been since known as like this incredible transition passer and a guy who gets the ball out. Well, they have to work on these bigs. They have to work on Cauley Stein, and they have to work on Kufos on getting the ball out quickly. All right, so we've beat that dead horse a lot. Um, let's transition to a couple other things because there's a lot going on in this team. Um, let's start with Ben McLemore. He lost his starting job. At least, in theory, he lost his starting job. Uh, of course, the Kings were going to go a different way because they are matching up against a dual point guard starting Phoenix Suns team. But... McLemore has struggled epically. He looked a little bit better in in the Phoenix game. Uh, he looked more fluid. He looked like he wasn't so much in his head. But what are you seeing from him that's really hurting him? Uh, he has not quite hit the—there's an acronym that's not safe for work. It's DJ, D-G-A-F, and he, he needs to hit that point. And somebody maybe needs—I'm not going to advocate for this, but somebody might need to sock him in the locker room, and I mean that in the kindest, hardest way. Um, the, when he put the ball down at one point, he had had a terrible game and you could tell he's like the hell with this. I am going to the rack and I'm going to dunk it on anybody that gets in my way. And the only problem is, is that he forgot the ball on the way up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That happens. You know what? But I thought to me, I was like, that's his best play of the game because he is so down on himself that he's making the overthinking mistakes that have played his, you know, early season and even going into last year. So I I think that he needs to be benched. I think that he needs to come back with kind of a reckless abandon and, and coming from the perspective of almost somebody that comes from the D league, you know, I'm going to earn my minutes. I'm going to, you know, fight. I know that I might not be here tomorrow because I think his mindset will change. Like right now, he has so many ex- expectations of himself and it's just not working out. It needs to be a mental reset, taking two days off, watching the game from the bench can be a good thing for him. And then you'll start to see once he kind of passes that DGAF moment, he's going to be a good player. It just needs to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah. I'm not ready to give up on Ben Macklemore yet, but when you put in James Anderson and uh, it didn't work out in the first half and I mean, eventually it didn't work out in the second half either against Phoenix. But what I liked about James Anderson is he's a very quiet guy. He's a very good defender and everything was going swimmingly except for the fact that he was one of eight from the field in the first half. Now, I don't even know if Macklemore's taken eight shots in a single game. And James Anderson took eight in the first half. That is what the Kings need from Ben McLemore. They need his aggressive style. They need him to wake up and start chucking. I mean, everyone else on this team has a green light, and it's almost like someone put a yellow light up for him. And so he's just kind of like, you know, oh, I don't know what I should do. And it's not a yellow light like, oh, I got to get through the intersection faster. It's a yellow light like, oh, I'm going to stop before I actually you know, go into the intersection. So I don't know what's going on there, but James Anderson, again, I think he took great advantage of the opportunity. I thought, you know, again, he ends up hitting four three-pointers in the second half in that Phoenix game. He gets the Kings right back in it. And then they just, I, I don't really know what happened there. They fell apart so badly 
it's almost like someone said something on the bench and like everyone just looked at him and said, I, we give up then. Um, but I don't know how Ben McLemore gets over that. He has to be that next level. He has to do exactly what James Anderson did. And I don't, he's got to somehow do it with Anderson doing it too. And like stealing his minutes because I think that's what's happening. Yeah. Unfortunately for James, I caught him on tape three times being slow on rotations, but that's, you know, that's a little harsh for a guy that's really, you know, just stepping in cold, so to speak. And from Lithuania, it, just stepping in cold from Lithuania. Yeah. Basically. And, and, <laughs> and having this kind of like, you know, kind of a wobbly situation with the defense because these guys are still learning to play with each other. So let's add James Anderson to the mix. Cause that'll, that'll make things a lot easier. So I don't want to blame him too much for the defensive rotations, but it's, you don't want James Anderson playing heavy minutes. If you're the Kings, it's, it's not an ideal matchup, you know, defensively, he's going to get picked on by the, the elite guards in the league. You want Ben McLemore's athleticism out there. You want, to be able to kind of maximize or probably pardon me, minimize the amount that Collison plays at the shooting guard position, because that's not a long-term winning strategy. So you go with Anderson. I like the way he got the ball up. The thing with being a shooter is you just need to create gravity. If you're not going to shoot, they're not going to cover you. Bottom line, James Anderson one for eight there, even though he's one for eight, they're like, Oh man, that guy's going to shoot it. I got to run out there. And it just makes a difference. Yeah. Okay. And and I want to bring this up too, because I know, you know, I, someone told me every every year the Kings fans have someone that they that they want gone, and uh, Jason Thompson was like the like the nominee for a couple of years. He he actually held on to the title of the guy that a lot of Kings fans like wanted out of here as quickly as possible. And I think it's it's kind of an interesting. I think every team has that guy that people point to and is like, man, if only we had someone better at that spot. Ben McLemore, unfortunately, has kind of fallen into that trap. And it's had this interesting effect, and I'm going to point this out. And while Ben McLemore has struggled, Marco Bellinelli has been horrible. And Ben McLemore's, like, his rough start has completely masked the fact, after after shooting, what, like 6 of 11 from the field in the Phoenix game, Bellinelli is just now up to 34% from the field. He was shooting, like, 25% coming into that game. He has been equally or worse than McLemore because he doesn't really play defense either. So at least McLemore has been part of, you know, the winning mentality that they had in LA against the Lakers. He was attacking. He was, uh, he was helping Rondo pick up the dribble at half court um, or even in the back court. I mean, he's been active on the defensive end. He hasn't been horrible at all on the defensive end, but Bellinelli has not been this, you know, unicorn that Kings fans thought he was going to be coming through preseason. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And the the thing they did in the preseason really well is they got him into the pick and roll where he could start to get some separation from his guys. He's faced some serious defenders. You got guys like PJ Tucker and you got guys like Matt Barnes and Jeff Green and all these great matchups that can shut him down off the dribble. So the Kings had a couple plays where they connected with him off the ball, but you know, this all comes back to this spread offense and it's early. I get that you've got guys to integrate, but this spread offense, you've got the simplest screen and roll action happening with your high post center and everybody spotted up around the three point line. And it's just easy to defend. You need to have guys that can break down their man one on one 
in that type of a system. And this isn't this isn't the team that has those guys right now. Darren Collison is probably your only dribble drive threat because with Rondo, while he can get to the rack, he needs a little help. He can't get you in triple threat. If you're in a pick and roll, guys are going to sag off that. He's not going to beat that. So this this stretch offense, it's going to work with DeMarcus Cousins in there because he brings three guys to him. Mm -hmm. But Marco Bellinelli, if he's not operating in the pick and roll, it's going to be pretty hard to get him going unless you're hitting off the ball. And they got him once, maybe twice off the ball that I thought was a pretty good play. But yeah, it's it's. I think, again, this is a big go-back-to-the-drawing-board moment. Once everybody gets their confidence back and a little bit of continuity going, then I think we can evaluate it. And you're right. I think, what, 1-7 and seven or 2-8 two and, two and eight or whatever whatever the, the doomsday predictions are for this team, they're all in play. The only thing Kings fans can really hang their hat on is you've got an East Coast swing coming up. Yeah, you do. Now, I'm also going to point out, like, the effect of losing DeMarcus Cousins is huge because that second unit started to mold. You started to see the pick-and-rolls, Kufus coming out and doing such a nice job with the pick-and-roll. He's a guy who really, really sets a mean pick. And I liked what they were doing, that second unit with Caspi in the corner and, and sometimes taking him off the dribble down the baseline. Uh, Kufus coming out and setting picks for both Bellinelli and Collison. I thought that that team had a really good flow that started, but then of course injury hit uh, and, and you had to reshuffle the deck. I I also like starting Ben McLemore with Rondo. We kind of talked about this a little bit last week. Rondo and Willie Cauley Stein. Uh, if you're that that doesn't really even work if you have Cousins and Gay. If you add Kufus instead of Cousins. And now I've got four guys in the starting lineup who aren't natural scores. You're going to get beat. I yeah, mean, it doesn't look good that. that yeah, look they're just is, stymieing Rudy Gay. It's, you know, and Rudy, I, 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 I don't have kids, so I can't speak to this. I have worked on one hour sleep for five straight days, and I know what's expected of me. So, like, I see both sides of this. I, I see people that have kids, and, like, they look like they've been put through the uh, the the – the thing in your sink that cuts up all the food. Oh, the, the, the garbage disposal. Garbage disposal. There we go. Yes. Um, no, I, I, I get it. I get that that happened and, and that might be impacting his play, but his, his, his comfort zone is to go back to this one-on-one -on -one play. And that is just not a very good mix when you have non shooters on the floor, guys that are unwilling to shoot and he's, you know, kind of taking one on two or getting, a lot of hands are digging into his dribble, so you're seeing a lot of turnovers. So guys are not afraid to go, you know, the off-ball off defenders are not afraid to go back and dig mm -hmm. and get at him. And so it's really messing up his rhythm. It's messing up his flow. His energy doesn't look great, uh, and that's a team-wide symptom, so it's hard to pin it exactly on him. Um, I would look for him to bounce back in a big way. He's not going to be like this very long. Uh, Friday, I, I, you know, I've got a source that tells me DeMarcus Cousins is going to play. Um, I think it's a little bit up in the air. I haven't been able to double confirm that, but I think that they will they will play a Rockets team that's nowhere near as good as their name value. Now they are picking up steam. Um, they're they're a little offended with the way they've played. So I think that this is not a great schedule game for the Kings, but it's not as good a team as everybody thinks. I expect it to be a highly contested game, and I expect if Demarcus Cousins to play, if he plays, I expect him to come out firing. I expect Rudy Gay to come out firing. And if they don't, that's when Kings fans can start to worry a little. 
Yeah, and it's really difficult because the Kings have four games in five nights early in the season. They this is their they're going to have three sets of back to backs in the first week, and this is tough. I, like you get lambasted last night in well on Wednesday night in Phoenix, and you don't get to practice the next day because the Kings don't practice on the second after uh, a back to back, and so it's really just kind of like the schedule is compounding. And again, Friday and Saturday game. Sunday, they likely will take off. They might come in and do a little bit of work. But then Monday, they're right back at at it with San Antonio. It's just a brutal stretch. And, and then, you're right, the East Coast, the Eastern Conference teams come in. But you have to be perfect now. That's the problem. You have to, you you got like, I think it's seven games, something like that. You have to go five and two. Or you got to go six and one in that stretch just to get back up to where you can compete for 500 by like mid-December. And that's a, you know that's not where you wanted to be at this point. All right, Aaron. So it's not doomsday. The Kings can bounce back. They've got plenty of things going on that are positive coming up in the future with regards to the East Coast coming in, the Eastern Conference teams coming in. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins hopefully will be back. I'm hearing similar things. I spoke to Cousins uh, prior to the, the Memphis game on Tuesday. He said he was aiming for Friday uh, or Saturday. You know, he said this weekend. Um, but there is no, nothing solid and you have to take it easy. It's an Achilles injury. The last thing you want to do is lose to Marcus Cousins for a season and have him have to recover from a torn Achilles, which is never a good thing anyways. So I think the Kings are being cautious and we'll kind of see how it goes. I expect him to play sooner rather than later. Uh, but we'll see. So Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, it's just, it's not about whether or not the Kings lose it's how they lose. You know, hopefully they win for Kings fans, but it, you're looking for energy. You're looking for steps forward. I, I'm, I have the bar a little bit lower for the East Coast swing. I think they could be, you know, three, four games under 500, but as long as they're moving in the right direction and really surviving the storm of, you know, outside people trying to put pressure on the team to kind of make them crack or whatever, you know, might might end up being worked up in the media as, as you know we've seen the narratives go but really they just have to get their energy back figure out their identity so if they lose well i think kings fans should probably keep that in mind and give them about 20 games if they can emerge out of the first 20 games at like 8 and 12 and it looks good i think that that's probably not a doomsday scenario nine and 11 and they look good, you know, then you can start to get a little bit of a, not a big head, but you can start to feel good about the King season. I, I completely agree right around that area. Now you're right. The one other thing I'm going to just emphasize there, the energy level, they cannot come out and look like they did. I mean, <laughs> that stat in the Phoenix game where they didn't take a free throw in the second half. That, that was fun. <laughs> blew my mind when you said that. Alarming, alarming. I, cannot I, I believe looked down it. at the stat sheet. I was like, that can't be right. <laughs> I actually had double checked right beforehand. I went to Daryl Rada, the incredible stats man for the Sacramento Kings. I said, Daryl, how many free throws did the Kings shoot in the first half? He is six of 12. I look at the final box, six of 12. Like, really? Because I, I started to get that feeling. Like, I don't think they've been to the line. Uh, dribble drive motion offense predicated on the dribble drive, which often leads to a foul. If you don't shoot any free throws an entire half of basketball, that means you settled, 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 settled on jumpers. And that is exactly what happened to Sacramento Kings. So 
That's going to do it for this episode of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. We will be back next week. We will have more stuff to talk about. I'm sure we'll know more about DeMarcus Cousins by that point, and hopefully the Sacramento Kings will be moving towards a winning attitude, a winning perspective. Uh, They're a long ways away from getting back to 500, but we will see what happens by next week. I am James Hamm. He is Aaron Bruski. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back 